Amen. The earth has circled the sun more than 2,000 uh, times since the day that Honey drew his circle in the sand. But I believe that today God is still looking for people who know how to pray circles. The timeless truth at the heart of the legend that we just heard was, is as true now as it was then that bold prayers honor God and that God honors bold prayers. I want to start off tonight by saying that God is not offended by our biggest dreams. He's not offended by our boldest prayers. Um, God, God isn't turned away because bold prayer honors Him. He's offended by anything less than those kind of prayers. And so, at the very onset of this series, I want to tell you that if, if you're praying and, and your prayers don't seem impossible to you, anybody ever pray for easy stuff? Uh, I'm just going to pause here. Anybody ever pray, Lord, I need a parking spot? <laughs> That's not hard. Anybody can do that. But the kind of prayer that honors God is the kind of thing that when it's over with and when it's done with, that you can stand back and, and not just you, but everybody else will say there's no way that that was anything but God. That's the kind of prayer that I'm talking about tonight. Because uh, they, they require divine intervention. When we ask God to part a Red Sea or to make the sun stand still or to float an iron axe head and God is moved to omnipotent action on our behalf. There's nothing that God loves more than keeping His promises, than answering prayers, than performing miracles and fulfilling dreams. That's who God is. Does anybody believe that tonight? That is who God is. That is what He does. And so the bigger the circle that we draw, the, the better because God gets more glory. All too often our prayers are limited and small because our faith is limited and small. Big prayers are rooted in an unmoving conviction that God is on my side. Somebody say that. God is on my side. God is for us. He's not against us. And so we will never pray bold prayers unless we know and believe that God is for us, not against us. Boldness is born out of belief. Who but a believer would pray a prayer that could stop the sun? Who but a believer would pray like that? And yet, the Scripture tells us that because Joshua believed that God was on his side, he spoke to the sun and said, Be still. Joshua ten twelve. Listen. It says, Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ejelon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed. I am certain today that if there's anything that we need in this day and in this hour, is that we need to be delivered from small faith that prays small prayers when we serve a God that the universe cannot contain. We need to learn to speak with confidence of God's messenger, Abraham and Sarah. Upon hearing what God wanted to do, Sarah laughed within herself. And listen, the angel's response was, Is anything too hard for God? Is anything 
too hard for God. Sarah, I know that you're old. Abraham, I know that you're old. I know you're past childbearing years. But is anything too hard for God? We need a renewing of the revelation that our God is able. Does anybody hear me tonight? We need a renewing of the revelation that God is for us. And that God is able to answer our prayers. That He's able to meet our needs. That there's no problem that's too big that He can't solve. If our God is who He says He is, then our prayers should be big. And so, how many of you, you got a, a, a series guide? We're going to have one of these for you each week. Don't worry, in case you miss the answers, they're all in the back. But uh, you're welcome to follow along. I, I want to come to the point number one that I'm going to make tonight, is that bold prayers honor God. Bold prayers honor God. If we really look back over our prayers... I believe that we often could say and come to the conclusion that we have prayed small, nearsighted prayers. God, help me through today. Just, Lord, just let me get to work without losing the Holy Ghost. <laughs> just help me, Jesus, on 165 to catch all the lights. <laughs> we prayed small prayers that haven't been fitting of our God. We pray nearsighted prayers while God has already ordained and ordered the steps of the church to be great. And so in this series, our goal is to change our mentality about prayer. It's to change the trajectory of our prayer. It's to change our approach in prayer. We all know how to pray. Even a little kid can get down by his bed at night and know how to pray to God, just instinctively speaking out to God. But I, I don't know about you, but I want to learn to pray effectively. I want to learn to pray the prayer of faith. The Bible says in the book of James that the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And so, if we're honest, we have all struggled with prayer. I know I'm not the only one. We've all struggled with prayer. Anybody ever got down to pray and all of a sudden you remember everything else you were supposed to think about? I'm a very forgetful person, but if I start to pray, uh, the devil's going to make sure I remember that thing I was supposed to do. <laughs> this morning, I got down to pray in my living room, and all of a sudden, our doorbell started buzzing and, and, and uh, acting crazy and distracting me. I said, not, not today, devil. <laughs> I see what you're trying to do. It's when we pray, and, and when we go to pray, we get distracted. We feel weak in prayer. Often we, we struggle to keep a prayer time, to keep a habit. Um, and, and so we, we all struggle at times with prayer. And, and really underneath all of that, underneath the busyness and underneath the scheduling and underneath the, the ability to focus and meditate upon the Lord, I think our real issue is that uh, we have the wrong mentality about prayer. We simply need to tear down our understanding of prayer and rebuild it from scriptural principles. And so understand what I mean. Anybody can pray, but few discover how to pray effectively. And when you do discover how to pray effectively, it makes you want to pray. It makes you desire to pray. It's not on the back burner of, oh Lord, I forgot to pray again today. No, it's at the forefront of everything that you do. Every step that you take is made in prayer. And so what's really underneath our struggles with prayer is a lack of understanding of how powerful prayer can really be. 
And so the disciples thought they knew how to pray. They really, they thought, they thought, well, you know, we walk with Jesus. We know how to pray until they heard Jesus pray. Have you ever been with somebody that started praying? And you said, oh, Lord, they know something I don't know. <laughs> they know how to touch God in a way that I don't know. If you need help, just come to the prayer room. We pray loud in Pentecostal churches. You can hear all kind of people pray. But the disciples thought they knew how to pray until they heard Jesus pray. And the stark difference between his prayers and their prayers was enough to cause them to ask him, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Teach us to pray. We've been doing it wrong. And at the outset of this series, there's one life-changing truth that you need to get a hold of. And that is that God is, is for you. That if you don't believe God is for you, then you'll pray small, timid prayers. If you believe that God is for you, then you'll pray big audacious prayers. And one way or the other, whether your prayers are small, timid prayers or big, audacious prayers, they will change the trajectory of your life. You will either learn how incredible and awesome God is, or you will wonder whether He has heard you at all. Prayers really are just prophecies. They are the best predictors of our spiritual future. And who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of our life, of, of our prayers becomes the transcript of our life. And what you're praying for now and believing for now is directly impacting your tomorrows. How many of you believe that? You know, it was, uh, it was a few years ago when, when uh, my wife and I, we had planted a church in Flagstaff and everything seemed to be falling apart. We had been on the ground less than nine months, and all of a sudden the mother church that was helping fund us, they had a church split, and they could no longer help us out anymore. I didn't have a job. Uh, we didn't have an income. We had, we had nothing. We had a, a young congregation of about 40 people, and, and we, we had felt led by God to go there. And, and when all this happened and all of it unfolded, there was a lot of personal hurt. There was a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety about the future. And I remember the night... It was about 30 degrees outside, and we had a little hammock on the back porch, and I went out on the hammock. It was after dark, and it was cold, and I was shivering, but I remember sitting there telling God, I said, you know what, God, you're either going to have to take us up, or you're going to have to take us out of here, because, Lord, you called us to do this. God, you said that you wanted us to do this, and so, Lord, you've either got to take us up out of this, or you've got to pull us out of it altogether. You, you, you've got to make a way... For us to come through it, or you've got to, to, to make a way and open a door somewhere else. It was where the rubber met the road. I was asking God to do a lot. I was asking Him to repair what people had messed up. I was asking Him to give us resources that people had taken away. And within the next just few weeks, some incredible things happened in our life. Uh, there was another church across town, and they... Uh, their pastor had left and they called us and they said, we want to merge with your church. And, and overnight, our church doubled. All of a sudden, we had more income than we had from these brand new believers that were less than nine months in the church. We had no, no families go with us to start, just our families. And all of a sudden, we doubled in a matter of a week. And the same day that they voted uh, to merge with our church, I got a phone call from my boss. I was working in a temporary position at an insurance agency and in, in training to be an agent and maybe start an agency one day. 
I didn't know where it was going. In fact, I was very much thinking about quitting and, and going and doing something else because I didn't think that um, it was panning out. And the day that they voted to, to merge with our church, I got a phone call from my boss at American Family Insurance. And they said, for, for whatever reason, uh, the agent across town just resigned her insurance agency. And we want you to take this over and to own this business. Within a matter of one day, one day, all the prayer and the desperation that I had felt on that day, God was able to shift it and move it. I'm here tonight to tell you that sometimes we get so mixed up in these small prayers that we forget how big our God is. We forget how awesome our God is. People are no problem for God. God can move people. He can change people. He can shake people up. He can shake circumstances up. God can do it. God can do it. And you've got to remember that God is not, he's not looking for a reason for you to fail. God can do it. And so bold prayers honor God. Because what you're really saying when you pray those kind of prayers is you're saying, God, my trust is not in anybody else. My trust is not in any." Thing else, God, my hope is completely in you. Bold prayers honor God. And our prayers should be bold because our God is big. Let me, let me just ask you momentarily, what do your prayers currently say about God? Now, I know I'm talking to real people here tonight. Perhaps there's so little prayer in your life that it says God doesn't exist. Perhaps your prayers say that God is capable of the small things, but the big things you have in your hands. But I'm here to tell you that what you believe about God impacts how you pray. And if you can start seeing how awesome God is and how able God is and how willing and how loving your Heavenly Father is, then, then it can change the very dynamic of how you pray. God can bring you out of stuff that you can't see a way out of. God can deliver you from sicknesses. God, uh, God can deliver you from struggles that you thought there was no way out of. Because when, when all of a sudden our vision of God gets big, our prayer gets big. And so our prayers should be bold because our God is big. I, I love the story of, of Joshua walking and leading the children of Israel around Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. Uh, you'll see in your, your notes that there's some scriptures from there. And at the bottom of your, uh, your series guide, I have the scriptures that I'll be reading and, and using uh, throughout each lesson. But there are a few miracles in scripture that compare in sheer awe factor to the Jericho miracle. 400 years before the wall flattening moment, God spoke, uh, spoke to Abraham about the promised land. It was... A 400-year setup for an incredible inaugural event. And the first glimpse of Jericho, if you can put yourself in the shoes of the children of Israel for a moment, had to be incredible and awe-inspiring um, and, and frightening all at the same time. Because while wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they had never seen anything remotely close uh, to the, the skyline of Jericho. A six-foot-wide lower wall and a 50-foot-high upper wall encircled the ancient city. And the mud-brick walls were so thick and so tall that 
the 12-acre city appeared to be an impregnable fortress. It seemed like God had promised them something that was impossible. And his battle plan seemed nonsensical. And so your army, your entire army, God said, is to march around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, he says, Joshua, you are to march around the city seven times. Every single soldier in the army was wondering why. Why not use a battering ram? Why not scale the walls? Why not cut off the water supply, shoot flaming arrows over the walls? Why, why not try what other people have done to take cities? Instead, Joshua has us out here walking around walls. Instead, God tells the Israelite army, silently circle the city. And he promised after circling 13 times over seven days that the wall would fall. The first time around, you know, the soldiers felt foolish. But with each circle, their stride grew longer and stronger. With each circle, a holy confidence was building inside of their souls. And by the seventh day, they were ready to take the city. They arose before dawn and started circling at six o'clock in the morning. At three miles an hour, each mile and a half march around the city took half an hour. By nine o'clock, they began their final lap. In keeping with God's command, they hadn't said a word in six days. They just were silently circling around the promise. Circling around the city that God said was theirs. And then the Bible tells us that the priests sounded their horns. And simultaneously the people shouted. And 600,000 Israelites raised a holy roar that would have registered on the Richter scale. And the walls came tumbling down in Jericho. Seven days of circling Jericho. And God delivered on a 400-year-old promise. And He proved once again that His promises don't have expiration dates. And Jericho stands and falls as a testament to this simple truth. Is that if we will circle the promise, God will deliver on it. Here's where we get mixed up. Is when God speaks a promise to us, we think it's going to happen in like 30 seconds. We think it's going to happen instantaneously. We start getting frustrated if we don't see anything a week later or a month later. In fact, we often forget about it. Anybody can identify with that? You just kind of move on through life. God promised Abraham 400 years before that his people would take the ground that he was walking on. And Abraham at some point had walked through the territory of Jericho. And God said, it's going to be yours, Abraham. And 400 years later, here they are, and they're circling around it. And it doesn't even happen when they first arrive. It doesn't happen on the first circle. It doesn't happen on the second. But for seven days, they're circling the promise. And so this miracle is a microcosm. It, it not only reveals the way that God performed this particular miracle, but it establishes a pattern for us to follow. It challenges us to confidently circle the promises that God has spoken and given to us, both in His Word and in our heart. And so, tonight I ask you, what miracles have you been marching around? What dream does your life revolve around? Because drawing prayer circles starts with identifying your Jericho. 
You've got to desire the promise that God wants you to stake a claim to. The miracles that God wants you to believe for. And the dreams that God wants you to pursue. So uh, you've got to know, first of all, what is my Jericho? What is it that God has promised for me? What is it that God has chosen for me? What is it that God has desired for me? What is it that God has said is mine that is not yet mine? Here's the problem. Most of us don't get what we want and what we desire simply because we don't know what we want. Can anybody relate? My, my dad loves to make fun of me. When we were kids, he would take us to the store. That was, that was kind of our special thing. You got to ride with dad. He's going to take you to the store and you get to choose candy. But it didn't happen all the time. You know, it was a special thing. It wasn't like every day, maybe once a week. And he makes fun of me because we would go in and my sister will have already planned. She knew before he ever decided. She's like God. She, uh, <laughs> she had predestined herself for a bag of Doritos. That was my sister. It was always her go-to. She had sweet tarts, bag of Doritos. She knew exactly what she was going to get every time. But not me. Because there was so much pressure on this decision. This, is, this could be the last snack that I have for a week. And so I would stand in front of the shelf and I would just look at it. Anybody ever do that with a refrigerator? You just open it and look at it. Just look at it. What's in there that I want to eat? Sometimes I'll ask my wife, what are we snacking on? Because I don't know. And then she'll tell me something. I say, no, we're not snacking on that. I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want, right? (laughs) What if we're that indecisive in our prayer life? Our problem is we really don't circle things because we really haven't set our eyes on the prize that God has designed and ordained for us. And, And like a kid in a candy store who can't make a decision, we don't know what to pray for. It all looks good, right? I want some of that, Jesus, and some of that, and one of those, and one of these. But we've got to learn what our Jericho is. Instead of drawing circles, sometimes we just draw blanks. And the thing about a circle is that it defines a boundary. It sets parameters on where a victory will take place. When they're marching around the walls of Jericho, they're marching in agreement to the boundary that God had set for their victory. And that's why the book's called The Circle Maker. Because God said, Jericho be yours. So what did they do? They circled it. They said, we're not leaving this circle until the walls come down. We're just going to keep circling it. We're going to keep agreeing with God. Not begging. Believing. We're just going to keep marching in circles around it and claiming it and believing it and obeying the voice of God until God delivers us what He has ordained for us. When they're marching around the walls, they're marching in agreement to the boundary that God had set on their victory. Notice in Joshua 6, 1 and 2 that God tells Joshua He had already given them Jericho. Joshua 6, 1, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Praying circle starts with a conviction and a faith that agrees with God about what He has already said is yours. 
Perhaps our problem is we just don't agree with God. We want what we want, not what He's promised. And so I'm not here to give you a formula of how to get whatever you want from God. No. The reason that Joshua's prayer and the reason that their circles worked is because God said it was theirs. He said, it's already yours. See, I want you to look and know that I have already given you Jericho. Understand this. We need to know the Scripture. And we need to know the promises in Scripture. Because there are some things that God has already said belong to us. There are promises in the Scripture that we haven't taken advantage of. The presence of God. If you feel far from God, He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Right? That's a promise. Feeling the presence of God is a promise. He is as close as what? The mention of His name. Somebody said, that's a promise. That's a promise. Peace I give you. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. These are things that God has said belongs to us. They are promises in the Word of God. And so we can agree with God until we have them. So before Joshua and the children of Israel even know how to circle the city, God had already delivered it. He had already planned it. And it was only a matter of making the circles until the victory came. Note what God says next. He first told them they have the victory, and then He told them how to win it. Usually it's the other way. God would, or, or somebody would tell you, this is how you win, and if you do that, then it's yours. No, God said it's yours, and here's how you're going to do it. He says, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you'll march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make the long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, everyone, straight before him. And so when Joshua and his nation believed and obeyed the voice of God and began to walk around the city, they were agreeing with what God had already spoken to Joshua. They were agreeing with the parameters that God had set around their victory. They were marching around the city, daily defining in their own lives what God was going to bring, the, uh, bring to pass. Every day, for seven days, they defined it over and over again. Their mouths were silent, but their footfalls were deafening in agreement with God about His plan. And so if we want to see His promises come to pass in our life, we must learn to define them as God defines them. When we circle the promise with prayer, we are agreeing with God about the parameters of what He will do. Not may do, not can do, not should do, but we are agreeing with God about the parameters of what He will do. A thousand years later, we're still in Jericho. And Matthew chapter 20 tells the story how as they went out of Jericho, a great, uh, great crowd followed Jesus. And as he's coming out of the same city where Joshua saw the walls fall down, there are two blind men sitting by the roadside and they hear 
that Jesus is passing by and they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Just two blind men who had a need in their life and knew what they wanted. Lord, have mercy upon us. Listen to what happens. The crowd rebukes them and tells them to be quiet, but they cry out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, thou son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Now you might be thinking, like, is Jesus playing games here? They're, they're blind. <laughs> they're rattling cups. Like, they got sunglasses on. You know, they're stumbling around. It's, 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 it's pretty clear to everyone that they're begging because they're blind. And this is what their condition had reduced them to. And, but Jesus made a point of asking them, what, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. What an amazing question. Two blind men are begging for mercy. What do you want from me, Jesus says. He can see they're blind. He knows they're blind. And yet Jesus still asked them to spell it out. I know what you need, but do you know what you need? I know what I can do, but do you know what I can do? Are you bold enough to ask me for the thing that you really need? What an incredible moment. He makes them spell it out. And it wasn't because he didn't know what they wanted. He wanted to make sure that they knew what they wanted. And that is where drawing prayer circles begins. It's knowing what to circle. What if Jesus were to ask you the very same question tonight? What if he walked into the room and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Would you step back and, and, and be stunned and not know what to say? I feel like there are probably some people here who would be like, Lord, I don't know. I mean, this is your shot. Jesus walks up to you. What do you want? What can I do for you? And I'm convinced that all of us at times, we don't know. We just don't know. We wouldn't know what to say. We, the place that we start in our prayer life is knowing what to pray for. Knowing what to believe for. What, what if Jesus were to ask us, what, would you be able to spell out the promises tonight, the miracles, the dreams that God has put in your heart? The reality is most of us do not know what we want from God. And the great irony, of course, is that we can't, if we can't answer the question, then we are as blind spiritually as these blind men were physically. And so perhaps the prayer needs to be, Lord, let us see. Lord, that we would see. What you've said is ours. What you've spoken is ours. Open our eyes, God. Perhaps that is the starting point for some. But God is for us, and yet at the same time, most of us have no idea what we want God to do for us. And that is why prayers aren't just boring to us. They are uninspiring to God. Because if faith is being sure of what we hope for, then being unsure of what we hope for is not faith at all. How many of you remember Hebrews 11? Faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. And so if you don't even know what you're hoping for, can you really say that you have faith? 
We've got to learn to spell it out. Somebody say, spell it out. That's the next one. Spell it out. I got cute. I, I spelled out, out. Spell it out. Like the two men outside of Jericho, you need an encounter with the Son of God. And you need an answer to the question that he's asking. What do you want me to do for you? What God is saying is all of my power, all of my ability is here and present and able to manifest on your behalf. And so what will you ask me to do? Will you ask me for something small or will you just go for the, will you go for the goal? Will you go for the big one? Will you go for the, for the big prayer? Will you go for the bold prayer? You see, well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers, and well-defined prayers result in a well-lived life. Jericho is spelled many different ways for many different people. If you have cancer, it's spelled healing. If your child is far from God, it's spelled salvation. If your marriage is falling apart, it's spelled reconciliation. If you have a vision beyond your resources, it's spelled provision. But whatever it is, you've got to spell it out. Just as the men of Israel had to define it over and over again when they walked around Jericho. Just as the blind men had to define their own healing. We have to draw a boundary, a border, a circle around our issue and agree with God about the parameters of His promises. Obviously, the answer to this question will change throughout our life because we need different miracles during different seasons of life. If you've got a young child at home, you just might need a day of peace. You just, Lord, let him behave one day so I don't do something foolish. But at different stages in life, you're going to have different circles that need to be drawn. We pursue different dreams during different stages, and we stake claim to different promises in different situations. And so it's a moving target, but tonight you've got to start somewhere. And so I'm just saying, why not here and why not now in this room tonight? Decide what you're going to start praying for. I want to make a challenge to all of you that over the next uh, four weeks, that, that during this series, it's about 21 days from, from this lesson to the last lesson, um, that I want you to pray just 21 days straight for the same thing that you're believing for. Not a little thing, a big thing, a bold thing. Not a, Lord, I'm just going to test you and, and dip my toe in the water and see if you can't get me a dollar an hour raise, you know. No, I want, I, want you, I want to challenge you to exercise your faith over the next 21 days. And, and when you go to your prayer time, don't just read the Bible. Start circling the promises in the Bible. Uh, don't just make a wish, but write down a list of things that you're believing God for, of goals. Uh, don't just pray, but keep a journal. Uh, define your dream. Begin to claim your promise. Begin to spell your miracle out. A pastor I once knew that that was a man of great faith, and uh, he had this habit of, of when the church uh, didn't have enough money for bills, he, he showed me some pieces of paper that he had. There were like scraps of envelopes and napkins that he had scrawled on, and it, it said like electricity, you know, three hundred dollars, and uh, just different line items with an item next to it. I'm like, uh, he's handing them to me, showing them to me. I'm like, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> I don't make enough to pay it. But he handed them to me and he said, I want you to see this. He said, this is, this is what I do when it seems that there's not enough. As I write it down and I tell God, here's, God, here's what we need to keep this church going. Here's what we need, God. 
to make it happen. And, and his testimony was that every single time he wrote it down, at the time the bills were due, sometimes it was last minute, the last day of it coming in. It would come in every time. I've told this story before about how when we decided to go start a church in Arizona, that, that we, had to, we had to find a rent house to move to. So we took the money we would normally pay on our mortgage and we, we gave it to the new house to rent. Because, you know, if they evicted us from the house we didn't live in anymore, we were okay with that. And so uh, we didn't have money to pay the mortgage on the house. And so, so we started praying, saying, God, we, we need to take care of this mortgage. And uh, to make a long story short, um, two people were, were there at church at our last service pastoring in South Texas um, that day. And one of them came up to me before service and he said, oh, my, my, I unexpectedly inherited a little money. And I just wanted to bless you um, and, and tithe on it. And this guy had been going to church like two weeks. And so like a tithe envelope from a two-week-old member of the church is like, that's already a miracle. And I was like, okay, that's good. I thought, you know, I was thinking, you know, there might be 50 bucks in there or something, you know. He said it's just a little amount, nothing to. And then um, another lady came up to me before church and said, you know, we're having this thing at our house. But since this is your last Sunday here as pastor, will you please come over? So we went over after church and... As we're getting uh, ready to leave, her name was Sister Rose, and she was a sweetheart. She grabbed my wife, and she planted a big kiss on her cheek, left lipstick all over, and was hugging and just crying. And she said, oh, the Lord just told me to give you some." She pulled my wife aside and pressed some money into her hand and said, the Lord just said to give that to you. And uh, so Jocelyn put it in her pocket, and we left, and we got in the car, and we're driving out of the driveway. And she said, you won't believe what Rose did. And she, she just pressed some money into my hand. She said she felt God Tell her to do it. <laughs> I said, that's cool. I said, Brother Pete this morning came to me and he handed me an envelope. I had forgotten all about it. I pulled it out. And I, 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 I said, what did you get? You know, it was like, like Christmas. <laughs> what did you get? And uh, she said, I, I don't know. I haven't counted it. So she opened it up. She counted it was $180. So I pulled out the envelope. I said, well, count this. We owed $1,180 on our mortgage. And Pete had given me $1,000. And Rose had given Jocelyn $180. Sometimes you just got to spell out what you need from God. And when you are plugged into God's purpose, I'm not saying that you can get whatever you want from God, like, oh, Jesus, let there be a Lamborghini in the parking, uh, in the, in the parking lot when I walk out after church. It doesn't work like that. But when you plug into the purpose of God and the plan of God and the design of God and you start caring about what God cares about and you start being obedient to His voice in your life and, and when that fits within the parameters of his promise. He said, I want you to go and I'm going to help you and I'm going to be with you the whole way. When we say, Lord, we need our mortgage paid, God heard us. And he knew the exact dollar amount and he delivered it to us in just the perfect amount of time. I can't explain it any other way than to say that, that God hears our prayer and he knows our need. And if you'll spell your miracle, spell it out for God. God will come through. God will deliver on His promises. And so I want, I want to challenge you tonight to pray more specifically. Anybody ever pray those general prayers? Lord, I just want you to do what you do best, God. Lord, you just be you. <laughs> you know better than me. I've prayed this a lot. Lord, you know better than me what needs to happen. I, I, I'm in such a mess, Lord. I don't even know what's wrong with myself. Lord, you just do you. <laughs> And we get stuck, that's the easy way out because it doesn't require a lot of faith. And it doesn't put 
our faith to the test. It doesn't impact how we view God before or afterwards. Because if God does or doesn't, we didn't know. Because we didn't ask Him for anything. And James said, if you, ha- you have not, it's because you ask not. And if you have not, it's because you ask amiss. In other words, you're trying to use God as sugar daddy, Jesus in the sky, and Lord, give me the Lamborghini. And so there's two reasons why a lot of times our prayers are not answered. Number one is because we're not spelling it out. We're not asking God to do anything. We're just hoping everything's going to work out all right. Amen? And number two, it's because we try to use God. We're trying to poke God into giving us what we want and not what He's promised. And so tonight I want to challenge you to pray with more more consistency and more uh, specifically. I want to challenge you that pick a time. Pick a time for the next 21 days. It might be 7 in the morning, it might be 5 in the morning, it might be 7 in the evening, it might be 9.15 to 9.30 when you're stuck on 165, whatever your time is that you're praying. I want you to pick a time that you're going to pray with God every day. I want you to meet God at that time every day, and I want you to ask Him specifically for a need or a promise that He's spoken into your life for 21 days. How many of you will do that? Just raise your hand if you'll take that challenge. I'm going to pray specifically for 21 days. Some of you, it might be a prayer for understanding. There's something you haven't understood or a situation you can't get your mind around. For some of you, it may be relief from anxiety. And I want you to spell it out. I want you to put God to the test so that at the end of it, you know whether or not God answered you. Amen? It it was great. The other day I was... I, sometimes I get off on these uh, YouTube uh, threads and I, I was watching some video of a clip of a preacher. Well, the next one that came up was um, a brother, Billy Cole, a great man of God. And uh, he was talking about faith and prayer. And I thought it was so interesting because he started, he started revealing how uh, some of the first miracles happened in his ministry that, that he, he ever did. And he was, he was talking about he was called to this house where this lady was dying. Well, literally, kind of like Jesus on the way to Jerry, Jerry's house. On the way over, she had died. He got there and they all said, well, you know, we're glad you came. Thank you for being here with the family. Very gracious. He was a young preacher, not yet the pastor. He was an older uh, minister there. And he said, man, you know, you're welcome to pray. And uh, Brother Cole said, you know, he, he stopped the family and he said, I, I'm happy to pray with you. But he said, I, I really thought God told me that he was going to raise her up and heal her. So do you mind if I pray? Do you mind if I pray? Talk about bold prayer. Because here's the deal. If you pray and it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, right? We, we start to think, oh no, man, you know, my reputation and ministry will be destroyed, right? That, that's probably what he's thinking. But he said, you know what? I, I really felt like God told me he was going to heal her today. And so I would like to pray. And he prayed. But he talked about it. He said, I, I didn't pray. Oh, God, please heal this woman. Please raise her from the dead. He didn't pray that way. He said, all I did is I walked over to her bedside. And he said, I spoke to the Lord and said, Lord, I really believe that you spoke to me, that you wanted to raise her up today. And so he said, I say to you, woman, get up. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. And she sat up out of bed and her family about lost their mind. (laughs) Why why do I share that story? It's not in my notes, but I I feel to share it because what we often do is we, we beg God for things that God has promised. And sometimes we have to speak to situations and agree with the definitions that God has given. And we have to pray boldly enough to completely agree with God. We have to step out in in faith and speak faith. And so I want to challenge you over the next 21 days to pray more specifically, to pray more consistently. Write down your prayers. um, Ensure that you know what you're praying for. And, and, and that way you can go back and revisit and ensure that you give God glory when He answers it. And, it. and it forces us to be more defined in our prayers. So I want to challenge you to that for the next 21 days. I believe that God is going to do some incredible things in our lives through this series. And, and the reason we're really revisiting it is because we need a revival of prayer. We need a revival of faith-filled prayer in our church. Amen. We need people with the boldness to pray for the sick and see them healed. Amen. You've got to understand you're a child of God. You're baptized and filled with the Spirit. That you have the ability to speak in faith and agree with God. And you have the ability to march around those walls and see them fall. You've got to spell it out. Somebody say, spell it out. You've got to develop your faith into agreement with God. I want to close with this simple story. Is uh, A few years ago, uh, because of the times, Brother Elias Lamonis shared this story about missionary Lucille Farmer's powerful prayer life. This woman was, uh, or, or rather, uh, Brother Lamonis was born in Ecuador, and his father was a Trinitarian pastor. He was among the first to be converted and baptized in Jesus' name in Ecuador. And soon after, the UPC sent a missionary, Sister Lucille Farmer. She didn't have anywhere to live or anywhere to go, so... Uh, the Lamonis family took her in and gave her a room in the back of the house. And they had nowhere to keep her uh, but there, just a small bed in a small room, not much bigger than a closet. And this missionary, she wasn't a preacher. Uh, she wasn't a singer. She, she didn't have a whole lot of those kind of upfront stage talents, but she was a soul winner. And most of all, she was a praying person. She was a prayer warrior. And Brother Lamonis told how often their entire family would be awakened in the middle of the night by the sound of Lucille Farmer praying from that back small room, relentless in her passion, relentless in her desire to pray for God to touch the people of Ecuador. She wasn't talented by many standards, but man, she could really pray. And because of her labor there, soon revival broke out in Ecuador and spread in the neighboring countries. Fueled by the relentless prayers of that woman who night after night, he said, they would hear her. Oh God, for the souls of Ecuador. I pray that you would pour out your spirit in Ecuador. Every night, circling the promise that God had put in her heart. And her prayers made a difference. That soon the group of hundreds grew to be thousands in Ecuador. And in fact, one of the churches she directly impacted and worked in now today runs over 2,000 members. And it's because a woman found a place of agreement with God in a little back room. And every night, and every night, she would come back to that room and say, God, I know what you've put in my heart. I know what you've spoken in the path that you put me on. And Lord, I call heaven and earth to hear me today 
God, I'm not moving out of this circle. I'm not moving off of this prayer until, Lord, I see it done. Until you move. That's the kind of praying we need a revival of. Not the kind of prayer that prays one time and then wonders if it will ever work out. But the kind that draws a circle and stands in the middle of it and says, God, I'm not quitting until my family is saved. God, I'm not quitting until my relationship with my children is better. Lord, I'm not quitting until my marriage is healed. Lord, I'm not stopping and I'm not stepping back. Lord, I'm right here in this circle until it happens. The rest of the story is that at the time I heard Brother Lamonis preach this message, here's what stuck out to me, is he had just come from her funeral. And at the end of her funeral, there was just a box sitting there on the platform. And he went and rummaged through it, and it was just a small box. It had a Bible, a few clothes, a few small things in it. And it was the total sum of the belongings that Lucille Farmer had left behind. Her life had impacted thousands and thousands of people. Her prayers impacted thousands and thousands of people. She didn't have a 401k. She didn't have a vehicle. She didn't have kids or grandkids fighting over antique china. (laughs) She didn't have all that. She had just a little box of belongings. But if I were to guess that if you and I could trade places with her on Judgment Day, if we could choose between having a little box and all the stuff we've got and a life of prayer, we would choose what she left behind and not what the rich people of this world do. Here's what I'm telling you. Is your family, your future, your dreams, everything that God has purposed and designed for you is available to you, but it will only come by prayer. Stand with me as we come to a close. The Bible says this, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I want to tell you, when you come into alignment with God, when you leave sin behind to follow hard after Jesus, and you pray in faith, believing your prayers are making a difference. So I want to tell you, there's some circle makers already in this room. Don't stop praying, Grandma. Don't stop praying, Grandpa. Don't stop praying, Wife, Husband. Don't, don't stop praying. Keep standing in the circle because the power... You never know the power of one single prayer. I want our ushers to prepare to come. But while they do, they're going to come down while we're praying. I want you to bow your heads. If you feel too, lift up your hands. We're going to pray right now. Heavenly Father, God, I feel the unmistakable touch of your presence in this room. God, you are calling us to prayer. You are calling us to faith. And I pray right now that you would release something in our spirits that would drive us to pray, God. Drive us to pray until things change, God. Drive us to pray until we see your promises happen in our family and in our children, God. Let the miracles of God flow through this church body, God. Not not so that we can brag or, or, or boast, but, Lord, so that your glory can be seen, God. So that people can know who you are. So that your great love for us can be known. In Jesus' precious name, we thank you and we give you glory for it tonight. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Can we just thank God for a moment? Lord, we thank you for your word. We receive it in Jesus' name.